We began last week to read through the book of Hebrews, and this week we come to Hebrews chapter 2. It's a very interesting chapter for several reasons. One is the light it shines on who the author of the book is. I think for probably much of church history, it was generally assumed the Apostle Paul wrote the book of Hebrews. Uh, I would say evangelical reform scholarship is almost unanimous today in disagreeing with that. I am one of those that disagrees with that because of the statement in verse 3 where the writer speaks of the gospel as having been attested to us by those who heard. Well, compare that with Galatians 1 verse 12 where Paul very vigorously denies that very thing that he received the gospel secondhand. And so he seems to be uh, inspired by the Holy Spirit, a a Pauline apostolic associate, but not the Apostle Paul himself. We don't know. It did not please the Lord to tell us who the author of it was other than the Holy Spirit. Now, the opening verses of chapter 2 are also important because it tells us the pastoral concern that this book is really about. I mentioned last week that this is written to Jewish Christians who are experiencing uh, whole life persecution because of their commitment to Jesus. They've been kicked out of their jobs, their families, the synagogue. And uh, he wants them, and he's writing this book, that they would be very deliberate in cultivating and holding fast their faith in the Lord Jesus. Look at verse 1. Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. And then in verse 3, how will we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? Now, verse 1 uses a nautical term, and the writer of Hebrews likes nautical terms. It's not the last one we're going to see. And when he says, lest you drift away, and it's really, there's two examples that really this comes from. One is if you don't tie your ship firmly to the dock, the knot will slip, and your ship, your little boat, will just drift out to sea. Maybe even more directly, if if your hand is on the wheel of the ship, and if you're not holding it firmly on course, there's forces in the ocean that are going to push you off track. Now, you see, his insight is, if we are not decidedly biblical, it's not enough for us to be sort of biblical, generally biblical. Yeah, we want to be fairly biblical. No, he says, if we're not decidedly biblical, we fail to realize that we are in an environment that is so hostile to the Christian faith. If that knot slips, my friend, your boat is going out to sea. If you don't hold the course of your life firmly to Christ and the, 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 the way of the word of God, inevitably you are going to go much further off course than you ever thought possible. How often it is, we see this in every generation, churches that say, well, we want to be biblical but not decidedly so. And then uh, 20 years later, they're not biblical at all. We are in an environment, the writer of Hebrews, he's going to use, he's going to circle back on this thought that we must lay hold of Christ. We must have that Bible in our hands, write it on our heart. We must keep the hand on the tiller and keep it on course. Now, he's then going to make another biblical argument. In chapter 1, he made some biblical arguments. His main argument of chapter 2, remember the, 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 the grand theme, is that the reason we should not lay, let go of Christ and his great salvation is because he is better than everything else. In fact, he is the only one who can save. And his argument in chapter 2 points out that when the Son of God came into earth, he was incarnated as a man. Therefore, in order to be the Savior of men and women, therefore, if men and women wish to be saved, he's the one. He's the only one. And it's really a great chapter. 
He talks about how in Psalm 8, that's verses 6 to 8 of Psalm 8, he talks about how Christ became lower than the angels in the sense of his incarnation. Now, why would he do that? Because he came to save men and women primarily by tasting death for them, by his atoning death on the cross. He makes us his brothers, and then he came to die for our sins. Well, let me just say that uh, verse 14, some very memorable verses. Verse 14, since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself partook of these things. Why? That through death he might destroy the, the one who has the power of death, even the devil. Verse 17, he became a merciful and faithful high priest in service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. Well, the atoning death of the Lord Jesus Christ is that particular great salvation that no one else could or has done. How will we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? Let us hold fast to Christ. Well, let's turn now to the text. Give ear to the reading of God's holy, inerrant, and life-giving word. Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to us by those who heard. While God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. Now, it was not to angels that God subjected the world to come, of which we are speaking. It has been testified somewhere. What is man that you are mindful of him, or the son of man that you care for him? You made him a little lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. Now, in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside his control. At present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him. But we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. For it was fitting that he for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering." For he sanctifies, for he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. That is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers, saying, I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation I will sing your praise, and again I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, I am the children God has given me. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. The grass withers, the flowers fall, and the word of our God abides forever. Amen. 